0: The Echo Chamber, brought to you by The Holmes Report and produced by the international broadcast specialist, Marketeers. Sponsored by The Bullet Group, putting you in tomorrow's conversations today.
1: I'm Arthur Shaw. I am the, um, the executive editor at The Holmes Report. And I'm being joined by two fantastic speakers here today. Um, Laura Brusca. And Laura, I realized I didn't I didn't clarify how to pronounce your last name. Is that correct?
2: It's uh Brusca, but it, it's Brusca. fine. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I'm newly married, so I'm still I'm people are still working out how to say my last name.
1: Oh, yes, indeed. Um, and and Mark and Mark Nardoni with um, with Pan. And um, the way that I thought I would start things today for the kind of you know, for, for this webinar on PR's future challenges. Um, I, I've i asked both of our presenters to, at the end of this conversation, to come up with um, a, a digestible kind of takeaway that you all can have, um, that you can, that you, that you know, like 140 characters, that you can take back to your offices, um, take back to your teams, and implement immediately. Because we'll be covering a lot of ground today, so I want to make sure that, you know, you have something tangible, like a tangible takeaway. Um, so, kind of to bookend this with Twitter on both sides. Um, to start, I am going to read both of our presenters' Twitter bios. So Laura is VP of, of communications at Forbes, board member at Brass for Africa, and super lost coffee, and proud mom to Insta famous dogs, Little Lucy Goose and Little Darling Daisy. Both all of these have Twitter handles, by the way. So I think you can follow her dogs if you want to. Um, yeah.
2: Yes, they're Instagram, actually. So
1: they're Instagram famous. Follow. Yes, yeah, yeah, they're yeah, of course. They are Instagram famous, so obviously they they're they are open probably to the public. Um Mark Nardoni, who is EVP at Pan Communications, and his hashtags are Boston, San Francisco, and NYC, which I think is where where Pan has its offices. Um, passionate about strategic PR, marketing, digital, and emerging brands. Can't live without golf and adore my two kids.
0: I can't help it. I, I mean I st- my team will tell me here that uh, you know come the summertime, I just you know, I'm still working hard, but I mean golf is golf is a passion of mine. My wife will tell me something different, but at the end of the day, it's still still something I thrive for.
1: And I and I want to let all of our everyone tuned in today and also those who, who maybe have missed it, is that we will be producing a a recorded a, sort of a podcast from this um discussion. So if you here are some things that are really interesting and you think, hey, I want to go back and and re-listen to that part, Um, that will be available. It will be syndicated on the Holmes Report's Echo Chamber podcast. Um, If you don't already subscribe, I recommend that you do. Um, And you can also share that with any of your colleagues who perhaps missed today um, but but you think would benefit from the conversation. The Holmes Report will also be covering this conversation as well. There'll be an editorial story around it. So again, if there are things that you really found interesting, um, you can revisit our coverage as well. So on that note, oh, and I one more thing around um, audience interaction. Um, I believe you all will be able to see a, um, a, a chat window um, as you're participating. Please feel free to ask questions. Uh, you, you can ask them throughout the, the event whenever, you, whenever it comes to your mind. Um, I will get to them when I can. Um, if I don't get to them in the course of the conversation, I will give about 15 minutes at the end to make sure that we go through any audience questions as well. So, um, so yeah, we're, we're looking forward to kind of hearing your thoughts as well. So with that, I'm gonna talk quickly about just how we're structuring this webinar. I mean, really, I, I want this to be a conversation. I think Mark and Laura are really smart and they came here with a lot of talking points. So I wanna make sure that that I kind of give them a platform to do that. But if you just think about how we're framing this, I mean, there there was a survey that we will be drawing from, both a survey that we did with the Home Support did with Can around re-engineering the marketing and communications department. And we will identify some of the gaps that we found in that survey. And I will also be pulling from some other home support research that we've done and some of the gaps that we've, we've identified there. And then we'll sort of talk about what these gaps mean and what the larger trends are. And then we'll end with sort of what you know what's next, um, what's next for the industry. And in particular, again, I want to you know, hear from, from Mark and Laura about sort of their their, their takeaways um, for for all of you to kind of bring back to the office so the first theme that we noticed was um, sort of the growth and integration and before we go into the stat here I, i'm going to open this i'm going to open up a, with a stat that we found from our 2018 global communications report at the homes report at over 2,000 PR pr professionals both in-house and agency side around the world so 70 percent of those that we surveyed Said that the industry will change significantly over the next five years. When I saw that my question was always what were the other percent thinking? Um, And so I want to ask Mark and Laura quickly, um, kind of setting the stage, where do you think the biggest driver of of that change will be?
0: Laura, you want to go first?
2: Sure, I think think there's um, a lot of change that will be seen overall within departments um, in terms of integration. I think that Um, Working more closely, whether it's with your um, marketing team or your chief um, head of HR is is really important. Um, We're really big about internal and external comms and thinking about ways that we can work um, really integrated within the company and ways that we can tell um, and bring stories to life um, in different ways and different um, storytelling methods, Um, thinking creatively about how to tell your story um, visually thinking about it through social and through so many different platforms is really important too
0: Mark, um, and, and just to, 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 and just to add a couple of things on top of that I feel that um, you know what we're seeing across the client base and when we're talking to CMOs is the pressure that they're faced with growth marketing revenue marketing um, you know being a bit more focused and personalized in some of their um, sales effort which then puts a little bit more pressure on and content to to be really personalized and targeted and segmented and how do you make sure that earned media impacts most of that? Um, so there's there's a bit more strategy opportunity for us to kind of go grab as an industry, which is a great um, presents a great challenge for us uh, because we could start to really look at um, impacting um, a brand's funnel in a very different way, whereas we've always lived at the top of it. Uh, based on awareness and, and everything else that we do, we are being pulled now down into more of the strategic conversion conversations around um, making sure that the client and the prospect coming in to either the valued sections of the website and or the specific content that we want them to download um, is being connected with a lot of the earned media activity that we have going on in most of our programs. So it's an exciting um, conversations that, that have taken place right now, um, but also presents us with a really great challenge to kind of overtake.
1: Well, but, but I, both of you touched on two things that we're going to be talking quite a bit about. One is integration, which Laura mentioned, and then here is impact, um, you know, on on business and on revenue, um, which is another area that we'll be talking quite a bit about. So, um, so you all set the stage nicely. Um, so as I mentioned, we, we the Holmes Report did a, a partnered with uh, Pan on a survey last year in which um, we were trying to really assess kind of the state of marketing and communications. And one of the questions that we asked was, "Are you effectively?" Um, and this was again, this was actually just a brand side communicators. Um, "Are you effectively integrating with other marketing teams?" And the response that we got was actually very good. Integration is going well. Um, 79% said they feel like this is happening effectively. So I wanted to first um, open this up to Laura and ask you, um, what does integration look like at Forbes? And can you tell us a little bit about how how communications is structured organizationally there?
2: Yeah, so we actually report into our CEO, which is pretty significant. Um, We, um, uh, the head of uh, our communications department has a seat at our executive steering committee meeting, which is all the top executives in the room, and they go around and really talk about what they're all working on, what challenges they're trying to solve. So he has a very important seat at that table. Um, and I think that it's, um, it's important for, um, for all PR people to really have important seats within their organization and to really be in the loop on that executive level. Um, even this week, um, you know, we work very closely with our chief sales officer who um, actually oversees the marketing and all the sales um, in, on the business side here at Forbes. Um, in fact, we join her weekly meetings even um, so I was just there on Tuesday and presented to the team everything that we're doing to support them from a communication standpoint so that they're aware. So we talked about how we're supporting our live franchises. We talked about how we're supporting client projects. And then we relayed how that helps them in their role, how they can help use that and, and communicate to their clients and perhaps even get clients over the line. So I think there's a lot that, um, it's interesting when you work with the sales side of the organization um, and you're very close with them, how you can really see how you can affect the client, the business, um, and really some of the sales process as well.
1: And, and I mean, I think, you know, that, that you, that communications reports directly into the CEO is significant and, and kind of tells you a little bit about, you know, how that function is valued. Um, yeah, we, we actually, do, oh, go ahead, Laura.
2: I was going to say our CEO really highly values communications and everything that we do. I think that um, you know it's, it's really important. I know that a lot of CEOs do, but it's just so important when you have a CEO that supports the, the function and understands how important you are to the entire organization.
0: But so- but I would say, Arthi, but Arthi, I would jump in for a quick second and say there still needs to be a lot more education yeah. to the C-suite yeah, on well, the value well, of what, what actually, we do. Actually, that, well,
1: that, that's why I was going to actually ask Laura, how does your CEO evaluate? The communication function, like what are the metrics that your CEO uses to evaluate, you know, whether you're whether you guys are performing the way that the way that is expected.
2: Yeah, I think it's like, you know, are we getting out there in the news? Are we see? Are we being? Um, are we getting our message out there right? Are we messaging things right? Is it the message that we want to tell? Is it the story that we want to tell? We we set expectations with our CEO, so we don't want to be held to impressions. We don't want to be held to the number of you know hits or the number of, of this or that. It's really about quality over quantity. Um, I think that's important for everyone um, to, to try to set, set expectations with your C-suite. Um, a New York Times front page story doesn't just happen. Um, you know, it takes relationship building and it takes time and it takes work. Um, so we set expectations and I think that's really important to, to everything. And. The way they measure our success is, is partly, um, sometimes it's, it's internal. Like if they're hearing the buzz internally, if everyone's talking about, wow, did you see this great media piece, or did you see this great video, or this great newsletter? It, you know, If it excites the culture, it, it certainly helps. Um, and then on the outer side of it, if he's getting LinkedIn messages, hey, I saw you guys in, in this outlet, or I saw this and that, it's a lot of anecdotal stuff that really shows the, the true success of um, you know what we're doing.
1: So, and Mark, I want to open this up to you now and ask you, I mean, so this, you know, 79%, you know, the, the integration is, is going well. Um, is that consistent with what you're saying? Because you sort of have more of a bird's eye view across a, a larger portfolio of clients.
0: Yeah, it's yeah. Um, it's consistent. I mean, the interesting thing that that we could kind of, you know, discuss this afternoon is the variety of brand that we work with. So, we go early stage emerging growth to mid-size to lo- later stage brands. So, you know, I can give you a lens into the dynamics of, of each of those kind of size of organizations. You know, as you get to later stage, for whatever reason, CEOs may be not so much involved in the activity of working with their agency and maybe their departments in general. And again, that goes to there still needs to be more and more education there. As you move a little bit further downstream into maybe the mid-sized brands and emerging brands, it is definitely on every ceo's radar and i feel one of the biggest drivers of change that we've seen is the customer experience that you know um because the cmo now has pretty much total responsibility for the experience of that customer coming in both from a pre-sale and post-sale based on loyalty programs um, and overall experience with brand with product with employees Um, they've decided and and, and made the right shift to put that right under the CMO. And that kind of has elevated the strategic importance of agencies' partnerships with brands more now than ever before. Um, Because, you know, they don't have all the answers. They need us to make sure that we're looking at, um, you know, how are we being viewed versus the competitors out there? What's message pull-through look like when we're targeting maybe growth segments because CEOs started to, Put more revenue responsibility to the cmo and they want expansion in any regions in either industries to specific target audiences by title um, and that kind of ricochets right over to pretty much the pr and the integrated team and then i'll also just say that you know we're not going to a meeting uh, at the last time we've gone to a meeting where either the head of content marketing head of demand gen which i kind of consider those two titles pretty much the same social marketing social media and PR are all around the table. You know, and that's from prospecting right to the engagement with the client. And it's because the value of the narrative and the stories that we're trying to move and shift have to be adjusted and personalized based on channel. And it impacts that kind of whole department. Um, and so everybody's pretty much come together. And RP, five years ago, that wasn't the case. Five years ago, the departments were still pretty much siloed. You know, the CMO was faced with a lot of responsibility to drop the silos and bring those teams together. And now they're kind of maneuvering either the agency and the PR team like Laura has over at Forbes into that conversation to be that catalyst of collaboration.
1: And you know, I mean, you're right. Things Things have progressed considerably over the last five years. But it seems like there are still challenges and growing pains around this, around integrating. In fact, I was talking to someone on the brand side just last week and she was saying that you know at their organization there 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 are just cultural differences that still exist across these different functions and the way that and, and the approach to solving some of these problems some of these brand problems is different and they're they're still they're still learning and figuring it out. So I, I wonder if both either Laura or Mark like what is the biggest challenge that that we still face, you know, five years, seven years into this sort of integration journey that we still face as an industry.
0: Laura, you want to kick that
2: off? Yeah, I mean, I think that's an interesting question. I think you know, it certainly probably depends on the size of the company, right? Um, and how big your departments are, and how many people are, how many functions, and how many um, things are happening. And I think it's it's important in terms of organizational structure to have a good structure where um, you know figuring out what is the best way to. Um, combine combine the forces, integrate in a way that makes sense and then carry that message down to the other units, right? So um, as you grow and as, as companies start to get bigger, how can they um, align themselves and organize themselves in a way um, that makes sense, that makes, that makes it easier for um, the integration to happen, right?
1: Good point. Yeah, I think size, size is crucial here. I think, you know, this is an advantage that some of the earlier stage companies have, I think, over
0: some of the larger ones. I, yeah, because yeah. I, I agree 100% there. But I also, you know, we deal mainly in in B 2 b brands. And I one of the biggest shifts that's taken place is, um, you know, the C-suite in particular, um, maybe not seeing um, a ton of sales coming in, but seeing the right sales come in. And when they're looking at the right sale that comes in where they can say, and talk to us strategically about what's the ideal customer profile look like. Um, you know why? Why are we calling that an ideal customer profile for us? What's the criteria? And a lot of that has to do with both the new revenue coming in and the potential, uh, you know, uh, life cycle of that customer's value across, you know, two, three, four years. And that has allowed, I'm going to pick up on what Laura said, much better alignment. For these teams to integrate on a page and unified because it's allowed us to be very very focused and personalized but also demonstrate a very interesting lift to the C-suite you know where before they would say okay so you know great what all this awareness all these impressions what is it driving we can actually show pretty much what it's driving now because that sales and marketing divide that might have been there stronger a few years ago it's not it's really not there any longer they are what we see, what we're seeing across our client base, is, you know, um, no more pointing of the finger. It's more, it, it goes back to collaboration and making sure that everybody's working off the same page.
1: Yeah, right. I mean, deal, deal, deal flow and, and deal closing, closing deals, accelerating the the closure of deals. I think that the role that communications plays in that, I think, is becoming more and more prominent. To your point, Mark, and that is something that I do want to to talk about. And Laura, did you want to get your point? And then I wanted to go to the next slide about yeah. budgets. I wanted to talk about that next.
2: I just think that Mark brought up a really good point about prioritizing. Um, and I think that's something else that will lead to success for so many organizations. So many organizations have great stories to tell, have great clients to focus on. But for, from my standpoint, from a PR person who supports our marketing and sales team and perhaps we um what we do is we promote certain client campaigns that we have, but we can't promote them all. There's so many great ones, but we have we always have to go back and remember, let's prioritize, let's see like what will have the greatest return, what will have the greatest impact. Um, so I think that's something else that is really critical is prioritizing.
1: You know, I was at an event two weeks ago and there was someone from a very big, big tech company, a tech company that everybody in this room knows about. And she asked a question and her question was, Do you, yeah, you want to name do you want to name who it is? I, it was it was a closed door event, so I'm not going to name who it was. But um, I'm totally she joking. said, she you know she said that she had 150 stories she had been tasked to tell, and without really a plan, like she was just told here is a hundred like basically the sales team came to her with 150 stories yeah. and said here tell these stories, and she raised her hand and she was she, she was a seasoned professional. So it's not like she was a junior in her career, and she said you know getting that, that integration piece I think was was missing because she was like they don't understand that we. You can't just like throw 150 stories at people. At. So it it feels like what they want us to do is essentially spam, and they're not strategic about it. And and at a company as sophisticated as this one, I was somewhat surprised that that you know this really basic issue was like you know come up with a plan, don't just say hey we need 150 stories. Tell them um, that this was this was still something that she was the the stature of this company. Um, so so yeah, I mean I think to to your point of that prioritization, figuring out what are the stories that are going to resonate should should be a sort of a baseline priority. Yeah. Um, so going on to the next point, which I would and then the next slide, which I thought was really interesting because it actually is it's, it's consistent with, with what we're seeing in the market, both from surveys and just anecdotally from talking to people, is that internal marketing teams are not growing at the pace that meets their needs and neither are their budgets. And just to sort of um, Kind of augment this stat with something that we saw from our Influence 100, and the Home support Influence 100 is our, is is who we deem are the 100 most influential communicators and marketers from around the world, and and basically the majority that we saw in 2018 saw budgets flat. Um, the ones that did see increases, they were five percent or less, and um, the ones and then we saw quite a few disclosed budget cuts this year anywhere anywhere from 10 to 30 percent. So my question to Mark and Laura is. Is this reflective of a macroeconomic shift um, where there's just less money in the pot, essentially, or is this reflective of sort of PR and marketers getting a smaller piece of the pie? Mm -hmm, mm -hmm,
0: mm -hmm. Uh, Yeah, Um,
2: yeah, you can go, and then I'll go.
0: All right. Um, So I think you know this is an indication of where um, there's there's a bit of a shift of responsibility with than what we're seeing in some of the departments. And what I mean by that is typically, you know, we've always identified um, our target uh, key decision maker to be the CMO, obviously, and or the, you know, chief communications officer or, you know, SVP of Com or whatever it happens to be. And I I feel what's happening lately is that that CMOs are starting to entrust their key um, individuals within their department to either influence or make specific decisions and that's opened up a bigger opportunity for agencies to start to move across into um, some of these other disciplines within marketing um, you know the two or three that come top of mind uh, for us here is kind of how are we um, playing a critical role in content marketing you know there is a department in a lot of our brands that we work with that all they do is drive content marketing but we're starting to you know move over into that whether it's because they're either resource constrained or they want more ideation flowing through the narrative and the story there. Um, so it's kind of like when you look at that CMO, which in, in, in the traditional sense has always had the, the budget you know, buying power, it's now moving amongst these other skill sets in the department and you've got to figure out kind of how you want to kind of anchor in and move across and we're seeing significant organic opportunity across our client base with some of these other integrated marketing um, activities, but all anchored in and around content and PR. How do you activate influencer relations when inside of the department, most of our clients now are identifying somebody that just manages influencer relations. In the old days on the B2B side, that was the head of analyst relations, but now they may be wearing a few different hats there. They have their own budget, whether it's through paid or organic they've got their own how do you move them across our story through earn how do you connect those dots as one example so uh, the budget opportunity there i'm not saying is um so much of an obstacle as maybe as it was you know two or three years ago Arthur, quite honestly it's it's just how are you smart as a partner to kind of work strategically with them um and you don't need everything you know what i mean like be smart with what we're kind of working with you on like i You know, we use the word integrated marketing and PR all the time, but I'm also kind of honing into the term integration. Like, how do you integrate with all of these teams effectively? Like, it's not a you versus us. It's a we. And, you know, we don't need everything inside of social, but we can help lift some social. We don't need everything inside of content, but we can play a role in content. So it's like, I think there's just a dynamic shift of, like, roles and responsibilities there that agencies and and PR professionals in general can go out and grab. Yeah, that's a really good
2: point. And, you know, I'm just coming at it from like more of a Forbes standpoint. Um, I don't know if I necessarily agree from it from my perspective that we're, you know, not growing um, just from my personal perspective, because I think, um, you know, we're pretty high performing team. And I think that one of the things that helps is that, you know, we're adaptive and that we really try to stay ahead of what's happening. Um, We actually have our own CMO network. We have Jenny Rooney. We have so many great insights and we're connected to so many CMOs in the market. So I feel like it's I mean, luckily, you know, being a media company, we can really tap into other CMOs so easily and, and understand so much of, of, of what they're going through and kind of stay ahead of the curve. Um, so maybe it's partly too, like, you know, to, if, if, you're, if you're finding challenges to perhaps connect more with other CMOs who are going through this too um, and, and try to learn from them and, and see, like, how are they adapting and how are they growing. Um, and and try to take like you know look, look at some of the content that, that could help you grow as well.
1: So Laura, you you, you, you almost you pretty much answered my next question but I do want to put this out there because I think this will be really valuable to, to the folks that are, that are listening. Um, if you are a marketer or a communicator and you want to make a case for, for, for more budget, do you have any tips as to how um, someone can make successfully make a case for for um, a bigger piece of, of the budget.
2: Yeah, I think it, you always have to remember the end goal of like what the budget will do. And I think like when you can explain to your executives in the C-suite um, what the, if, if you give me this, it'll return this, right? So I'm taking it from, from a communication standpoint. Um, last year, my team and I um, wanted a bunch of video equipment. Um, our video team is super stretched internally here. They're doing so many videos and they're great. Um, and we saw a great opportunity to, as a communications team, learn how to use this video equipment, edit equipment and all that. So we actually went ahead and got permission to buy, you know, video equipment, which, um, you know, be quite expensive. And the reason being is that, um, we were able to show, um, in one example, how it could easily motivate and inspire employees. Um, we created some videos at the end of last year that were super successful that were the buzz. Um, and basically everyone was so excited by that content that, it was an easy one. It was like a no-brainer. Like yes, absolutely, go buy the buy, go do that. Um, and I know that that's a small thing. I know that there are bigger, bigger budget things. Maybe you want to buy a technology or a new tool. But then if you're going to buy the new, um, technology or the new tool, maybe think about like okay, well this will help my unit, but it may help your unit too. So maybe look at like if you're going to buy a new tool, um, like uh, you know social media measurement tool or something like that say, this will help my department, but it might help your department too, and it'll help your department too, and this is why we need this. I think there's so certain I, ways that we can all think about it in, um, you know, again, an integrated way of, like, if you need something, think about, like, at the end, like, how will it help the business, and how will it help the business grow?
1: So, I, I think that's a good point, and and I, I, Mark, I want to open it up to you for one second, because you you've alluded several times in this conversation already to revenue impact, and the role that Communications and all of our activities really should be playing there. Um, I, I want if you could talk a little bit about what kind of ask you're getting from your clients now around how communications can show that business impact.
0: Um, so it, it kind of starts with I mean you know we've everybody's pretty much heard this term over the last two years, but when we go in and we're starting to look at um, Looking from a from a sale through a sales lens, the challenges that these businesses are facing, both competitively speaking, positioning, um, product, whatever it happens to be, like really understanding the business challenges that they're looking to overcome. And then you immediately are starting to shift that conversation to be more hard, you know, like a more of a marketer, like public relations professionals, we're seeing it, you know, across the board when we go in meetings. It's like what Lars, like they're marketers, like they, they, we have done a wonderful job as an industry moving the conversation broader, wider, more impactful, because at that point we can show, um, you know, how are we driving uh, most of the business side of either uh, qualified sales leads, um, you know, um, how are we driving traffic to specific valued sections of the website? How are we impacting? Um, the investment marketing's making in content based on premium pieces of content, whether it's video, whether it's ebooks, whether it's specific survey research and insights, and are we driving traffic to those sections so that now all of a sudden they're coming in and they may be coming in at a point of the funnel that's middle and they're downloading, and then what's that journey look like? PR and communicators are playing a significant role in that. And so where the conversation starts to shift a little now, RP is, How are we more strategic and really a wonderful resource for sales as they go out there and be assigned the top 25 or 30 accounts that they really need to get into? You know, if they are targeting, hypothetically speaking, a CIO, and then we understand that underneath the CIO, there's six other titles inside of that one account that need to be influenced somehow, some way. Director of IT, you know, IT manager, head of security, whatever it happens to be. Well, you gotta think about now how that ripple effect goes over to you know communications professionals, how they adjust the personalization of that content to go to somebody that's mid- mid-manager in IT and somebody that's budget decision-maker in the CIO. Somebody that is impacted based on what they're looking at with regards to million, $2 million technology purchase versus somebody that's using what actually the CIO is purchasing inside of one account. And then you go target through earned media, through content, through social, Engagement strategies through influencer strategies. I mean, it's just allowed us to just be, I think, far more involved in business today with our clients.
1: I, I want to move on to digital skillset next, but but one last question for you, Mark. How much are you finding that you're having to educate your clients or your or prospects about about this opportunity to be more strategic around direct around sales impact, um, or or are you finding that it's coming from the clients? Or are you finding that you're having to educate you're
0: on your I, own? I, I, I think it's still two-way. I think, you know, when we look at um, situations, um, you know, some some marketers are far more modern and advanced, Arthi, and they get it. They realize that, you know, revenue is kind of their key barometer to success, and they're going to bring their partners along with them. So there's not much education there. It's more of a how do you sync and execute, you know? So as an agency and just in PR and, and integrated in general, we get that kind of conversation. Others are surprised because you come in with that level of strategic conversation and they're like, huh, I didn't expect this out of an agency, so talk to me a little bit about what you mean right now. And we start to kind of dissect why are they losing deals? How long is their sales cycle taking? What's their average deal size? Has it grown over a year, two years? Why isn't it? And it's not because we're moving away from earned media. It's because we want that story to make its way through earned media so that those guys can get out there and sell the right way to impact that sales cycle a little bit quicker. Yeah. So it, it kind of is this 360 kind of loop of goes back to the customer experience, the customer journey, whether it's pre-sale, sale, and post sale. If you're not having that type of conversation with them, both as an agency and well as well as internally, like Laura probably does with her sales team at Ford, you're missing <laughs> a huge strategic you're missing a huge strategic yeah. opportunity.
2: I totally agree with you. We talk about that and it's important for us to hear from our executive team. What are your challenges with what are, you know, why, why are, you know, thing? why didn't that sell? Like, what happened? And how can we help? Like, how can we help with the message or how can we help with the story? Um, and I think um, it, it's helpful getting, like, real feedback from people who are there and, 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 you know, out there selling because, you know, it really is, you know, driving the business forward. And how can, you know, you as a communicator help with that? So it's it's a lot about the message. And, and the beautiful thing about communicators and the communication groups is that we are the ones who really own the message. Like, we're the... Originators of the message, we start the message, and that message gets carried through throughout the organization, externally and internally.
0: And Arthi, one thing to mention too, well, we've had a, we've talked about this a few times, right? Which is, you know, the erosion of trust, reputation, like that's yeah. all made it to C-suite, which yeah. they don't have the answers for, and they need the talented team like Lara may have at Forbes, and like we work with consistently, and all the agencies out there work with consistently on the communication side to fix that. And Mark, they- Mark,
1: yeah, and I and I, I, I want to talk about earned and how the, this sort of erosion and trust in media entities. Do you, can we quickly just talk about digital platforms? But, and then, and because I think that it we 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 have a slide um, on on that. Um, so I I don't want I don't want to jump too far out here. So so let's let's go back to that in just a moment. But but let's quickly because we we've danced a lot around sort of skill sets and how that's changing. And Laura referenced video. And, and you know Mark you've referenced sort of um, influencers and how the analyst market the, the landscapes change from a b2b perspective so let's just talk quickly about what um, what the what are that those core skill sets and I'll just queue up the slide um, so this is again from from the survey and the most common pain point amongst respondents was the generational gap in skill set and my question to to Mark and Laura here is, it seems like the technology is constantly changing, right? I mean, Gen X, Boomers, they were all about Facebook. The Millennials are about Instagram. Gen Z is on TikTok, which isn't even open to brands yet, so we don't even know what that will look like. Um, now, like, you know, smart speakers are now integrated into family life. And, you know, they're ubiquitous. There's, they're commonplace for, for five-year-olds to be talking to um, a robot in, in, on their kitchen table. Um, so because the, the technology is sort of a moving target, What are the core skill sets that sort of, that undermine some of this um, that you all look for in your talent now um, to be able to engage with and think strategically about these platforms? Because again, the platforms keep changing.
2: Yeah, I mean, personally, like I always look for open-minded.
1: Yeah, go ahead, Laura.
2: I think it's important that whenever you're looking Mm -hmm. for people to be open-minded and people who try new things and aren't afraid to try new things and aren't afraid to challenge themselves, um, it's like an important skill set today, more than ever before. Um, you know, it's, it's something that if, if you're if you're talking about all this change and all this digital change, you have to have an open mind to okay, at least try it, like at least test it out, at least you know get a sense of it.
0: Yeah, yeah. I, I, I'll, jump, I'll jump. I'll jump in. Is Laura still going? Or? No, no. I go couldn't ahead. hear him. Okay, okay. Um, um, so you know, the wonderful thing I feel about our profession um is that many of the things we learned years ago are still so relevant today are you creative are you a fantastic writer can you tell a wonderful story how do you move that story across all these channels and there's where that kind of like um inflection point exists today Artie, which is how do you move that across channel hence here comes the digital skill set you know i mean I, I couldn't sit across from you five or six years ago and say The skill set we have inside at the agency today, SEO, optimized content, visualization of content, analytics and data, um, you know, would have existed. And they are there. And also, I'm sure everybody that's probably listening on this phone goes through the same thing that we're going through as well as what Laura's going through with her team. If you're not investing a tremendous amount of time and resource in training and development to make sure that the next generation of professional is learning all of the latest and greatest skills, both across traditional, and digital and everything else out there, you've, you're gonna be faced with a huge issue. And yeah. so, um, you know, it's it's kind of like we're at a pretty interesting time right now. Um, you know, everybody talks so much about data and analytics and, you know, AI, and it's only as good as the people that are digesting the data. If you really don't understand how to read the data and how to put that data in motion as an individual, and that goes back to creativity and storytelling, you know, what good is it going to be? You can do as much data as you want, but you still got to take it and personalize it. So I think when you, when you when you go across social, when you go across digital, when you think about how you're optimizing content, it, as our industry continues to kind of roll and evolve, paid starts to become an important play in it. You know, how do you take an organic strategy and a campaign that's resonating in market really, really well and put some paid behind it and make sure you're targeting that paid effort to show return across keywords and anything else that you're trying to optimize within campaigns and brands? We didn't do that five years ago. Ten years ago, they would ask us, hey, create a, create a press release, push it out. Hey, Write a byline article, place it in a trade. But I think the conversation swaying so much more towards the ag- agility that our clients' customers have today, the pace. Laura mentioned something earlier around the quality versus the quantity. Thank God that's finally starting to swing again. I was so tired going into meetings where they would like say, oh, I just want I – want, I don't care. I need four hundred thousand followers next year, you know. Yeah. And they didn't care if they pay for them or not. It's like, no, I really just but want who's to make sure.
2: Following, right? So, like, right, exactly. But who I are mean, the followers? Are they engaged? Are they good followers? You know, are they ones that you want to follow you? Right. So, it's right. You know, it's about it shifted.
0: About
1: quality.
0: Yeah. It shifted back, thank God. So,
1: so I think the point that you raised, Mark, about agility, that seems to be key here, is and because it, it kind of. Uh, reinforces what Laura said about having an open mind. Open mind and agility seems to be some core skill sets, which, which you know, because we every year we do ask communicators like, what are what are the skill sets? You know, judgment is always is always pretty high up there, um, but you know, but, but agility is one that 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 I don't think and has been said in that same in, in the way that in the way that you put it, Mark. So I think that's a good that's a good thing for for people to think about. I also want to now go back to what you said about earned. And you know the data has showed on our everywhere you can just look at um, look at any research that any of the marketing organizations have done, and it's that earned works um, when com- when consumers are making their buying decisions, the paid stuff seems to work around awareness, but when they actually make that decision, it's really driven by earned. And what earned is it, now that's broader than it used to be for sure. So I'm curious, you know, on this conversation about skill set, there was um, some research actually that that showed that. Um, earned traditional media is just as trusted as SEO these days. That has huge implications for our business. So I want to open this up to, to Mark and Laura to ask you all, like, what, what do you think if you're, um, you know, you're, you, from the seats that you're sitting in today, I mean, what what does that mean for you about what the industry needs to be thinking about and how they need to be operating, knowing that search is just as effective as traditional media today?
0: Laura?
2: Yeah, I mean, I definitely think search is key. I mean, when you, like, especially, like, for Forbes, like, when you search for so many things, like, are, you know, we're coming up a lot, um, you know, just in the search forms because, um, you know, people are looking for information on those topic areas, right? So um, I think search is, is definitely something that, like, if you think about we're in this Google universe, right, everyone is, oh, I can Google that. Oh, I can search for that. Um, I think people are just relying on that so much more and for information. And I definitely think search is a, a very important part of it all. But I, I will say that, um, you know, the earned part of it all, it's um, its still, for me, like, it's, it's incredibly important because um, it, it really is something that, um, you know, it, 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 it gives it credibility. It gives it true credibil- true credibility when you have this, um, you know sure you might have a press release that shows up in search in search high up on, on the ranks, right? But when it's a, a great piece that's by a credible reporter by a credible source And it's an earned piece and it gets the message across right and it's, it's a true story. It has impact Yeah,
0: yeah. and and you know, you know it, it's um it's interesting so the, the Statistics don't lie with regards to great earned media driving great referral traffic so you know, when all of a sudden you're really involved in more of the marketing conversation and you get into the analytics and you can start to talk specifically about how Earn drove specific traffic to specific sections of anywhere you wanted that user or audience to go. I mean, check mark, that's beautiful, right? But the second part is something that I keep talking about here, the and that is, you know, um, Search is great, and you need search. no question about it. SEO is powerful, whether it's organic, whether it's paid, keywords, local, regional, national, global, you call it. It's all across the board. But somebody in the sales function is going to use a piece of earned media, incite some type of outreach yeah. more strategically than they would probably anything else. Almost more than the sales collateral that's being developed because it's such a credible factor in the conversation and in the potential engagement so now you think about as we're starting to talk more with sales and integrate more with sales how do you extend the shelf life of earned media across these other critical functions within the company ie sales you know what because like in the old days you know you'd go grab your earned media go to the next one go to the next one go to the next one all right and you you would just you would just roll you on a treadmill you just needed the coverage now we're starting to slow our clients down and say okay you just spent some really good time securing this wonderful piece in Forbes, for example. How are you going to leverage it? How are you going to extend the shelf life of that piece of coverage across social, through your sales efforts, wherever else it's kind of going? And again, it keeps the elevation and importance of earned at such a peak. And the sales teams, they rave about it when they're getting it. So it's kind of like um, it's, not, it's not going anywhere. It's actually, in, 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 in our opinion, uh, increasing its value.
1: So, on that note, I wanted to, you know, Mark, you talked about engagement and data. And so I'm just going to jump over here. I was surprised by this slide where we asked folks about to talk about their marketing departments, and only 10% said their organizations are focused on personalized marketing strategy. And, you know, given the access to data today, um, this was somewhat surprising. So, I'm wondering from Mark and Laura, sort of, why you think that this. Is it is it a, is it an issue of sort of integrating some of this data with some of the marketing uh, or engagement strategies, or is there a sense of uncertainty around how, you know what consumers' boundaries are and how do you engage with them in a way that delights them and doesn't sort of disgust them? I guess? I don't know if I use that um, correctly, but um, uh, but but yeah, but I, I my question is is do you think what's what's the hesitation um, for for brands according to this according to this data and is this even consistent with what you all are seeing, both Laura from maybe the brands that you all work with um, at Forbes or even just from um, your own own research internally and and also Mark from what you're seeing with with clients um, and the way that they're personalizing their marketing strategies.
2: Yeah, my own personal standpoint is that this is surprising. Um, I definitely think that um, it's something that's interesting to see that it is so low. Um, I think that a lot of You know, a lot of marketers are trying, you know, my opinion is that a lot of marketers do try to personalize their strategy to customers and to the audiences that they want to reach. So it is super surprising. I'm not sure what's underneath that. Maybe to your point, there's something around, you know, the delicate balance of um, how to, you know, not go too deep and not too personal. Um, I think there's certainly, you know, I think people notice it when, when you're getting targeted on your phone or you're getting targeted in certain ways. Um, sometimes it can feel a little bit, um, you know, creepy and um, maybe there's just that balance of, you know, you know, again, people just are conscious of that now and trying to do it in a way that's, that's also um, responsible. I
0: I think, I feel that with regards to the data that we're probably seeing here, it, it, it has a lot to probably do with pace, you know. Uh, in, Everybody still moves at kind of warp speed out there on, you know, um, the content they're going to produce and um, going on to the next and, and keeping up with the both the pace of the industry, the pace of the competitor pressures, the, you know, the, the pace of the customer, um, and also from a from a sales standpoint, what's going on there. Um, so I feel like part of that is weighted in kind of like, you know, staying really active, involved in, and. In, and aggressive in uh, creating some form of personalization and or customer experience but I will tell you that um, you know these conversations come at us all the time you know we're having you know if there there isn't one meeting that our teams here at Pan are, are not coming out of where they're deep diving inside of the customer experience and what it looks like you know again going back to why don't they why aren't they buying
1: you know, and and I I'm just curious of what you all think about where custom where sort of the consumer limits are, right? Because you you'll 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 see the outrage, right? You'll see you know Facebook and you know how they use data. You'll see Cambridge Analytica. You'll see you know the the, the big Marriott breach, which was massive. Um, but it what's interesting is it doesn't seem to ultimately change consumer behavior. Like there's this outrage moment, and and I think. I mean, even with a grid. I mean, even, even if there's less engagement there, I mean, folks are still pretty highly engaged on, on their other platforms like Instagram or, or, or WhatsApp. So where do you think those boundaries, and I just lost my headset, um, where do you think those boundaries are with consumers? Because on one hand, I mean, they'll say that their privacy is hugely important. And on the flip side of that, we aren't seeing a massive behavior shift when there are big breaches. Um, and Mark, you know, because you work with so many B2B companies that are probably thinking about this, um, because they do handle huge amounts of data. Um, sort of, what what is what's the thinking around around what will ultimately um, impact, you know, their their sales essentially?
0: I, um, oh, sorry, well, Laura, you no, wanted to jump in. Go ahead.
2: I, I would just say that I I kind of feel like there has been some some shift though in some of the stuff um, with with everything that happened on Cambridge Analytica and Facebook and these, these things. Um, I think a lot of trust has been broken. I know like tons of people have deleted um, apps over this. And um, I think in Europe, you're seeing the GDPR situation. In mm-hmm. California, you're seeing privacy laws as well. Um, and I think that um, you know, a lot of that is in reaction to what's happening. And I think, um, you know, so certainly I think there's a lot of change that has happened because of some of this stuff. Um, but I, I hear you on customer engagement. I think social social media networks are are certainly loved. Um, I think people really enjoy being able to share information, dig into information and feel like they're connected. I think at the end of the day it, it, you know there's a feeling of connection. Um, and I think that um, you know certainly there's there's a shift though that I, I do see happening and I think it has, has a lot to do around trust
0: um,
2: yeah. and um, and I think that will only continue to to, to arise
0: Yeah. And to take it and to take it a step further, Arthi, what, what where it's put a lot of, um, a lot of potential of. Uh, for expansion within either the comms department, the marketing department, or with working with agencies is thought leadership programs. I mean, it, I cannot tell you like, and I'm not talking just kind of like get an executive pen a byline and place it in a journal, like place it in a trade journal. I'm talking like, okay, like here's my bench of executives. I definitely need. My pillar and positioning around my CEO, his personality or her personality, what do they stand for? Kind of like what's the brand's purpose, all of that kind of stuff, keeping them in their lanes and then also building out all these subject matter experts within that executive team to build credibility and to continue to either leverage trust or bring trust back to the brand. Because at the end of the day, I'll tell you, man, the story, the the story. And the narratives are still driving the brand like never before. And I, we feel, and we're seeing that the executive, the executive suite, and and more of that kind of mid-level suite that's out there talking often to the the external markets um, are starting to kind of take this more aggressively with us. Maybe, and where before we had to convince them to do something like this, now it's kind of like, what's your formula for thought leadership? Like, what what does it look like? How do you assess an audit? who I am and what I need to do versus other voices in the industry? How do you establish a point of view for me that's going to stick and that's going to uh, uh, attach well to my brand's purpose?
1: Yeah. And okay. and going back, Laura, to, to what you were saying, and I, I absolutely agree with you that you know, GDPR is an example um, of changes that have been made. And, and there have been some flux on Facebook, but it's interesting because on the flip side of it, right, we, we're also welcoming smart speakers into our homes, right? And I think I saw a, just a headline just last week that said that, Google and Amazon are asking for continuous data from these speakers, from these smart speakers. So, you know, there, there does seem to be this, oh my goodness, my data was used this way, but at the same time, it's like, oh, well, you know, I'm inviting um, through technology through these devices, even, even sort of more sort of invasion, I guess. Um, so it, it, predicting consumer behavior around this seems to be a little tricky, and it doesn't seem to be consistent. Yeah. Um, so going back then, and, you know, we, we're down to about... Uh, about less than 10 minutes. And so I just want to be mindful of, of inviting the, the audience to ask questions if anyone has those. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I don't see any in my, in my window right now. So I'm just going to keep going until, until I see one and then we can pause. And, and I did want to take a moment, Laura, to, to ask you, um, and I think this will be useful for our listeners. From a branded content perspective on Forbes, what brand content works well? Like what are some things to keep in mind there's anyone here who's thinking about, you know, or, or has um, a relationship with Forbes around the branded content. Um, what are some some good, some good takeaways around what works well, what engages the audience, what doesn't engage the audience?
2: Yeah. So we're at Forbes. We're big believers that brands are thought leaders, and brands have stories to tell, and brands have incredible content to share that is of interest to our audiences too. Um, we have our Brand Voice Content Program, which is a thought leadership platform program on our site where marketers can share their stories, and they're not advertisements, they're really storytelling. Um, they're stories that connect that connect around themes, they connect around something, and I think when they're written well and when they're written in a way that's informative and engaging and that um, is actually helpful to the audience, those really succeed the most. I think a lot of times um, you know, it's, it's, it's partly about you know, educating there. Um, and then also in custom content, I think there's a lot that you can do with custom content nowadays um, in terms of positioning brands as thought leaders around certain topic areas or perhaps even engaging with influencers um, and doing something really dynamic um, We've done some really cool campaigns like digital publications with um, with tech clients around the um, topic of AI um, Some really incredible video um, branded content campaigns that have been just stunning visualiz- like visuals where you're bringing in influencers, you're bringing in branded video, and it's so impactful on the audience. It's also like really engaging content that I want to listen to. Um, and I think that when it when it feels, um, you know, when, when you're inspiring your audience, when you're giving them content that they're they, they want, um, you know, it definitely it ties into that thought leadership point that Mark brought up of around you know the importance of thought leadership. And I think that um, it's really important that the brands that get into branded content take a really strong
0: thought leadership um, approach with all of that mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. we're seeing More. a similar shift to ourP just so you know where mm-hmm. our clients are we're talking to our clients consistently um, about branded content um, whether it's through paid models or whether it's through organic and their own authentic branded content um, you know the challenge that we're having is kind of setting um, you know, some expectations where they can kind of like make sure that the branded content can kind of live for a little while and you've got a really good momentum strategy behind the branded content, whether it's indexes, reports, surveys, whatever else you're trying to kind of brand out there. But we're also telling them, you know, don't shy away from third party collaboration, you know, and in, in kind of like kind of jointly develop some of these pieces of content, see what type of return you're going to get out of it. Put a little money behind it. Let us use it across earned and social and all the other areas. And let's see the type of lift and, and evaluate and, and maybe don't stick to it for so long, but you know, see the, see the value.
1: So, so we we got an audience question. Someone is is curious to hear about an example of branded content that's that I'm assuming is a good example of it done very well. So, I, I'm going to open this up to Laura or Mark. Mark, if you have an example that you th- you want to point people to, or Laura, if there's one, maybe on the site that you think is 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 done very very well that you want to send um, send people to.
2: Yeah, I mean, um, for us, like one of the campaigns that's it's won so many awards for us because it's just been recognized as like a really high quality version of, um, you know, branded content is our KPMG Great Rewrite campaign. Um, that campaign it was incredible. It was talking about rewriting industries. Um, we worked with this incredible guy, Leonard Brody, um, real thought leader in the industry, and he um, really was a real partner through it all. Um, and. I think if you if you look if you go to the site, you'll really see what what it is that makes it award-winning. Um, the content comes to life in in so many ways through video and, and other ways, and it's it's just impactful. I think it's when it has an impact.
1: Mark, do you have a, do you have a a favorite piece of brand content that you want to you want to direct people to?
0: I mean, you know, I could give you examples that are both across the client base. Many of our clients do. Both either semi-annual or annual reports. We have a lot of business in the security space. so You can imagine there's specific branded content and indexes where they may be surveying, you know, chief security officers out there and, and kind of putting together, you know, five or ten key takeaways. Um, you know, uh, and that's just it. Whether it's a, a client of ours called Rapid Seven doing their branded report or White Ops doing a, you know, a fraud report, um, if you go to um, from what we do at PAN in particular, there's some cool stuff that we do on the branded content side. We create what we call this content fitness report. It's been going on for five years. It's a branded content piece where we're out there and we're surveying, you know, 100 to 200 CMOs on the health of their content year over year. We're starting to compare, you know, what, they're, what they've what they learned in years past, what they're looking to change moving forward. It's branded. It's got some credibility out there. The industry covers it often. Influencers are starting to tend and comments to it as well, um, and so they, 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 it's at least becoming more recognized as a branded piece of content.
1: I think that's. What, I'm glad that you mentioned um, branded reports, Mark, because we are seeing that as well. That's been incredibly effective and in sort of creating a conversation um, for the around uh, industry wide with with branded. Um, we are down to three minutes, and as I as I predicted on our prep call, we did not get through all of the slides. But um there, there was so much on the first on the first 13 alone that um, that we had plenty to dig into and we could have kept this conversation going as both Mark and Laura have had plenty of interesting um, ideas. But what I'd like to do now is pause and um, as I promised our listeners, um, they would be able to take get some suggestible snackable snippet from this from this discussion um, that they can take back to their teams, to their to their respective offices, and implement immediately. So now we want to do the the the, the tweetable the tweetable p- portion of this of this webinar. Um, and I, I I do not have a preference of who wants to go first and give their 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 piece of tweetable insight. Um, so, Mark, Laura, do do I have a volunteer? I'm
2: I'm happy to go first. Cricket. Uh... Oh, there we go.
1: Thank you. <laughs> How could you so, say we're
0: crickets? We talk nonstop.
1: Uh, I, <laughs> it was a surprising pause. Yeah. Go ahead, Laura. You.
2: Um, so, you know, I think my best advice is really to take a seat at the table, be an advisor within your organization, get really close to all of the executives that you work with. Um, get close to your chief technology officer, your chief um, human resources officer, your sales team, your marketing team really integrate and get to know them, meet with them weekly, meet with them biweekly, join their meetings, infiltrate their meetings, um, because the, the closer you get to all of them, the better you can do your job and the better you can help them with their jobs. Um, so that's something that's really important to, to take note of. And I think, um, you know, at the end, at the end, if you do that, then you win.
1: So get, get close to the executive team, attend the meetings, crush the meetings if you have to, understand what they do, Understand how you can better help them do their yeah, job understand
2: their business and challenge and how you can help them mm-hmm. definitely. I, right, wish I, can,
0: I wish I could I wish I could answer this in one takeaway. So you, you're gonna you're gonna, not I mean I I have to elaborate. One one thing that we're seeing and has been true for so long is don't be afraid to be transparent. You know you, there there's going to be failures. There's going to be successes. How do you learn from those failures? How do you can, continue to move those successes forward, um, the more transparent you are, um, the, the, the better ability to get things back where you need them to be. So that has always been kind of tried and true um, throughout my career, which is as transparent as you can be, the better off you're gonna be. But I, I feel like um, the other areas that I did wanna just quickly mention is, make sure you're strategic in your conversations, like make sure you're addressing the business challenges that you're faced with as a brand and as a company. I will give you one quick example. I can't tell you the amount of conversations we've been having where one of our key objectives talking to brands is how do you help me find skill set for me to continue to grow and and be successful as a business? How do you help me not only position my executives as thought leaders, my product as exceptional, but recruit the best talent? And then one example is AI. How do I bring the best skill set? How does PR and content communications help me Fill my recruitment needs because if I don't have that, I don't win, and that's business. Like that is a business impact, and you know, like, like take that, own that opportunity. It's such a great possibility for us to kind of continue to stay very strategic inside of the company.
1: Transparency and business impact, Mark, and I, I, I think, I think the business impact piece, especially, I think, is a nice summary of what what was sort of at the core of, of so much of what we discussed today. Um, and again, unfortunately, we have to we have to end now. Even though, like I said, this conversation could, could just keep going. Amara, and thank you, Mark, for joining us today and you contributing up. your thoughts to this to this topic. Um, thank good. you to the to the to the team at Pan. They they worked really hard to to get this to get to get the te- to fix the technical glitches and to get us all here today. Um, and thank you everyone for joining us. I think it's been it's been really interesting to to sort of have this conversation as an ind- industry wide. Again, remember that the content will be available on the Homes Report. You'll be able to re-listen to this as an Echo Chamber podcast, and you will also be able to see um, a write-up that sort of summarizes this conversation and sort of analyzes some of the some of the key topics that we discussed today. And with that, I think I think we will close this uh, this webinar.
0: You've been listening to the Echo Chamber. Brought to you by The Homes Report and produced by Marketeers. Sponsored by The Bullet Group, putting you in tomorrow's conversations today.